So it's July 4th week, Jamie. Oh, yep, it is. I can't wait yep. for middle of the day week that <laughs> with what's around we're going what are we gonna do i don't know emily, wednesday. emily's I, already told you what you're going to do so yes she asked me what are we doing wednesday dad i said i don't know my son josh has been doing a play in sterling so we have to go to sterling for the parade and i said i know she goes dad what are we doing on wednesday yeah i'm blowing up stuff and she was like yeah well you have to have some smoke bombs during the day right uh, she wants a little more than that. Oh, she wants the big stuff. Oh yeah, she likes the big stuff. Well, if you didn't already know, Emily was <laughs> one of our podcast guests earlier talking about redesign. Yes. So, and that happens to be Glenn's daughter and she is also a pyro. She is. <laughs> yes, she is a huge pyro. Loves to create slime and stuff. It's, we walk into her bedroom and it's like, what are you, it's, it's a lab. And we're like, what are you doing now? What is this? You never know with Emily. <laughs> Probably have some kind of lab equipment start showing up. <laughs> well, my July 4th looks a little bit different. My brother called me at 630 this morning because he knew I'd be driving to work. And he was driving to Nebraska. And we're both on a local fire department. And she, he said, Jamie, I think we're going to wash trucks this week to drive in the parade this week. I'm like, oh, okay. Sounds like fun, Jer. So... <laughs> It's always so hot at that parade because it's in the afternoon. It's just, it's a beast. Oh, but oh. It's so I don't community. have to wake up early. No, you don't. Nice. <laughs> just wear sunscreen and have a cold pack on the back of your neck. Will do. <laughs> but it's fun and the Sterling 4th of July is quite a deal. So Nice. And exciting news as well for one Miss Jamie Howard what? this week. I got a new car? Yes, you got yeah. a new car. Woohoo! Well, new to me. <laughs> yes, it is very nice. You'll have to... Jamie has a fascination, evidently, with deer, from what I understand. <laughs> I've only hit three in the last two and a half years. So, you have to... Did you get that new deer avoidance technology? I, I, I think I'm going to install a sensing... <laughs> it has a sensing device in the back, so surely they have a sensing device on the front for deer. Nice. And the car speaks Jamie. It's a, I pulled up outside because she gets here before I do. And I was like, yep, that says Jamie. So that's pretty cool. That's what Deb Haneke said too. Like, <laughs> oh, that car just fits you. It's so cute. Yes. So an excellent choice there. Well, thank you. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Our guest today on AdventureCast is the newest member of the ESDEC team. Carmen Zeisler. She is such a deal. We did... Uh, an adventure, destination adventure with Number her. Number seven. Yes, yeah. this last fall. And she's now joined our staff. She's working with learn, learning centers. But Before this <clears throat> conversation we had with her this morning, we both knew that she'd worked internationally, but we didn't realize that she worked in two international schools. Yes, I knew she had worked in Mexico. Didn't know she had worked down in Brazil. So that was kind of neat to hear. So hopefully we can have her back sometime. Jamie, what do you think? I think we're ready to go. Adventure Cast 14. Episode 14 of Adventure Cast. Welcome. Thanks for joining us, as always, with me. Calamity Jamie 8. On Twitter there, and I am Obi-Wan 
underscore Glenovi, which kind of burns me. We might talk about that sometime. The underscore thing. Oh, really? But yeah, anyway, we got more important things to do. Our guest today is the newest member of the Esnet crew. Carmen Zeisler. She comes to us from McPherson. New new to ESDAC, but not new to us knowing her. We've been doing work with her for quite some time. Yes, she was and also the feature of episode seven of Destination Adventure. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's been um, one of the K-Toy teachers this year. She's done a tour doing that. She can tell us a little bit about those experiences and what exactly that is. Um, and we're going to talk about some of her, what she's going to transition into doing here and how some of her, her, her past experiences have shaped her teaching career. Yeah. So Carmen, good morning. Good morning. Thank you guys. I know we kind of ambushed you. This is your first day and like right <laughs> through the door where I was like, Hey, we want to talk to you on the podcast and stuff. Kind of. I feel like that's like the name of the game though, right? Around here. Like this, just do it. Just go do for it. it. Just do it. There you go. <laughs> So give us a little bit of your initial background. You've taught not only at McPherson, you've mm -hmm. got. Yeah. So uh, I just finished my 20th year teaching and my first 13 years were actually internationally. So I did 10 years in Mexico and yeah. then three years in Brazil, in Brasilia. And so like right now, Mexico, Brazil are playing in the World Cup. So it's kind of like a big deal right now, like for me, because I love both of those countries so much. And <laughs> that, I love soccer that's not, so no. much. I'll interrupt you. How'd you get hooked up with that in education? Um, one of my professors from McPherson College used to teach in Mexico, in Monterey, Mexico. And she'd gone back for a visit and she called me and she says, do you have a job yet? no, I don't have a job yet. And she goes, well, I have one for you. And it was an English lit position at an international, well, a, a, a bilingual school. Uh, and um, it was a year commitment. And I was like, why not for one year? And so I moved down to Monterey and um, I was there for 10 years. Okay. So how do you make that decision to move from you're in Kansas? Yeah. To make an international move yeah. straight out of college. Right. My mom was like listening to the conversation and like fainting, like to the couch. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> um, but I just felt really like excited. I wanted my own classroom so badly that I would move to Mexico to have that happen. <laughs> and it was the greatest experience. So what are your credentials? Were you into bilingual education at that time? What was your original no. major? Uh, elementary. Well, back then I, I'm, I'm a K-9 certified. So I think they still called it elementary ed, but K-9 certified. And I did not speak Spanish other than like high school Spanish. Um, had a great Spanish teacher in high school, but I did not continue that in college for any <laughs> anything. So I really honestly did not know how to speak Spanish when I went down there, but I figured I could being immersed, I could learn. And I, you know, I was, you know, 22. I was like, let's do this and, and let's have an adventure. <laughs> Young and conquer the world. Yes. Yeah, I remember we didn't, that didn't make the show, but I remember telling Jamie about that driving home and she was like what what yeah. in the world <laughs> well I have an even better story like once I was ready to leave like because uh, I did administration so I was like doing 
I taught ninth grade literature for a couple of years, and then they asked me to run their gifted and talented program. And it was brand new. Mexico, like the country of Mexico, actually did not have gifted and talented as part of the education uh, department. And so we got to work with, um, you know, the Mexico Education Department to help create create and craft gifted and talented programs across this across the country. And um, so we just got this tremendous training and, uh, you know, from Joe and Sally Renzulli from the University of Connecticut and just got to do all kinds of cool things. And then um, so 10 years in, I was like, okay, I'm ready for a, a new adventure and I'd like to go back in the classroom. And so I sent out my resume to some smaller schools internationally because I didn't really want to normally for like an international position, you have to go to a job fair. Um, and they're quite expensive and they take a lot of time. And, and so I was trying to figure out how I could get around that price tag. And, um, so I just sent out my resume to a few schools, smaller schools. And one of them was Brasilia, Brazil. And I knew that it was Portuguese, but I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll try. And I get an email back from that superintendent immediately. And he goes, guess who the superintendent is? And I really, because the email was just superintendent at, you know, like, so I'm like researching, like trying to figure out. It was my high school history teacher from McPherson, Kansas. What? Yes. Wow. Craig Johnson. <laughs> and then the next email back was Mr. Johnson. <laughs> and then it was, what do you want? What, what position do you want? And so I went and did kindergarten for a few years down there with him. So. And- and, and you didn't speak Portuguese. No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, Portuguese and Spanish have t- 10, nine or 10 sounds that are different. So like, for example, day in Spanish is dia. In Portuguese, it's spelled exactly the same, but it's gia. It's pronounced gia. So if you figure out those those differences, um, those very small differences, then you, you do okay. Um, but like that first year, everything just came out Spanish. <laughs> And I didn't honestly work that hard on my Portuguese <laughs> as I should have. Wow. That is just. So, so then how did you say, well, wow. I'm ready to go back to yeah. Kansas now. Yeah. yeah um, you know, I loved Brasilia, but it was hard sometimes. Like you were, I mean, I was really far away. Like when I lived in Monterey, I was only, um, you know, six hours from San Antonio, Texas, where my sister lived and my niece and nephew. Um, but you know, Brasilia, <laughs> I mean, you are That's quite a ways you're down no there. You're quite yeah. a ways. And um, at the beginning, when we were, when I was first there, there wasn't a direct flight like to the States. Now there is, but so you would have to go to like Sao Paulo or Rio to get to the United States. And so that just added extra, extra time on the flight and extra cost. And I mean, the, the school paid for one of our tickets home every year, but you know, if you wanted to go home at Christmas time or something, then you had to figure that out and you know we're talking thousands a thousand dollars easy well so, you know educators are just rolling in money right I mean, right it's, it's all about the I, money <laughs> <laughs> so it was you know I just felt like I just needed to reconnect and so I took a year off actually and just um, stayed with my parents and I did some counseling and you know just kind of reconnected back to the states because the, the idea of reverse culture shock like coming back into the United States oh, yeah. is yeah. very, very true. Like Walmart was like so overwhelming to me and the dollar <laughs> I agree. And I have not been out <laughs> for an extended yeah. time internationally. Yeah. So like 
you know, 20, I counted, there was 22 different kinds of spaghetti sauce at Walmart. And because my mom had given me like a list to go get some groceries. And I was like, what, which one do I get? (laughs) Cause I was used to like, either you make it or there's like one or two, maybe, but not 22. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So, So most people think McPherson's very small, but McPherson is actually very large in comparison to where you've in Brasilia and Monterey? Well, the, the size of the towns are, uh, the size of the cities are much bigger. bigger but, right. Yeah. But in terms of access, yeah. It's very. Very much so. Monterey was much more accessible than, say, Brasilia. You know, Brasilia is in the middle of Brazil. It's the capital of Brazil. And so they put it in the middle for, like, safety reasons. Like, so it wasn't near a port or, yeah. you know, but... Um, Monterey, you know, so close to the United States that it does have easy, more easy access to things. What were your biggest challenges working with students from both Monterey Mm, and Brasilia? Yeah. Well, in Monterey, I started off with ninth graders. And so they had, they were, um, they were, I would say probably 80, 85% fluent at that point. Uh, you know, Spanish, English, because they had been going to the school since they were three. Um, But it was a different, we were the first group of international teachers at that school. And so they were so excited for us to be there. And just the the conversations and the just a different perspective on things. Um, Most of these students were well-traveled and, um, you know, their dads and and moms, you know, worked for big corporations, and um, some of them, some of the parents spoke English, um, but not all of them. And so there's that challenge of initially being able to communicate and and um, just get get across what your beliefs and philosophies are on education. It was also my very first group of kids, like my own first group of kids, and so um, also just understanding like the um, the policies. You know, just like you go into any new school, you have to figure out the policies. But as a first year teacher, you're so afraid to ask questions. (laughs) And so like three weeks in, one of the girls, Daniela Franco, she comes up to me and she has her stack of papers that I had given back to her. She goes, "Uh, Miss Carmen, I just want you to know that here we do percentages, not grades. So like I had A minus, B plus, (laughs) A. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) And so she had told, she's like the sweetest girl. Uh, She's a teacher now in Switzerland, actually. Um, But she had told everybody to keep all their papers and they all turned them back to me. (laughs) Like they had their, they were watching out for me. Nice. Now, do you, I know my first grade teacher, it was her first year Mm -hmm. and we, when we graduated, she got us all back together. Oh, I love that. Being that distance. Yeah. But with technology now, have Mm -hmm. you found a way to maybe keep up with those kids or your first year? Absolutely. I've gone to a lot of weddings. Um, uh, They're now like lots of babies. (laughs) (laughs) And um, a lot of them are teachers. And so that's been really fun to be able to walk through that process with them. And a couple of them are now teaching in Texas. So they just got their license you know, taking the classes and stuff to get transferred over to the United States education system. Do you think you had an influence on them? Uh, I do. I do. I do. Um, one of the things that we did is uh, Romeo and Juliet and and the Odyssey. And that's what they 
always, always talk about whenever we are able to get back in touch and together. And I've been back down to Monterey a few times too. Um, and they always, you know, we are, our class was called 9C. And so we have, they always do some sort of reunion. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of interrupted you on the Mexico thing. You no. were talking about kind of like your credentials, how you came up through education. Well, yeah. And then you, you landed back in the States and then yeah. transition there. Yeah. So then I, um, I took a, that year off and then I got hired at Eisenhower Elementary in McPherson, which was kind of a full circle moment for me because I did my student teaching at Eisenhower the very first year Eisenhower opened uh, with Linda Farrell. And so that was just really special to be able to go back to a place that you that I knew, I mean, 20 years prior, but. <laughs> but it was familiar. Yes. And it wasn't like going to Monterey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I stayed there for two years. And then um, I love the idea of looping with kids. So staying with kids for more than one year. And Roosevelt Elementary in McPherson, um, they don't do it anymore, but they did um, for a long time. Um, they did that. And so an opening came for fourth grade, a fourth, fifth loop. And so I was able to do two loops um, there. And then this last year, I just taught fourth grade. So you've worked with us, Deck. So how did you make the decision? Um, I'm, I don't know how it all happened, but I'm assuming <laughs> that Rebecca was a large part of the transition and you're working. You've gone from from listening to you from grade nine to kindergarten mm -hmm. to fourth and fifth grade to now you're going to transition back with learning center students yeah. that are more of the upper teenage group. Yeah. So what do you, what's your role going to be like with ESDEC now? Yeah. So last October, um, Tamara uh, Conradi emailed me and asked if she could take me out to dinner. And I have to say that I really, really thought um, I had just done a presentation for ESDAC at Moving the Needle. And so I thought she was taking me out to dinner to help me make my presentation better. <laughs> and I really, really honestly, like when she said, well, we have a job kind of that we'd like to offer you. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I really was like blown away. Totally out of the blue. Yeah, I had like no concept of that. And so that's my funny that speaks camera. to how humble you are though. <laughs> yes. I really really truly thought she was just gonna help me make my presentation better <laughs> on engaging families <laughs> wow no now you get to engage families I know. yes because we desperately need that in the learning centers yeah so um so it took it was kind of a back and forth for that you know October November December um just as ASDAC was trying to really figure out what they wanted the position to look like um sound like feel like and then um you know uh, once it was like solidified then it was like oh gosh what am I gonna do you know do I do this do I not and so it was a lot of pro con lists and a lot of conversations with people that I just admire and respect and and uh you know I talked with um Dr. Watson a few times about it and he, Dr. Watson was our superintendent for such a long time and you know just a dear dear mentor to me and um that's not a bad mentor no <laughs> right, right. <laughs> a commissioner that's I, actually yes. revolutionizing yes. change in education in our the u.s 
Yeah. I mean, it's not just Kansas. I mean, other states are looking at us going, hey, right. look what they're doing. You know, it's funny that um, every time I had a big career change, I would always call or email Dr. Watson and say, hey, what do you think, Dr. Watson? So, of course, I'm going to ask him about this as well. Um, and then I, you know, I just really felt like that this was a, such a fantastic opportunity. And um, I was just looking back in my journals from a few years ago. Um, just this weekend, and um, and it was June uh, 2016, and I, I wrote on there that as I was getting, you know, like a bucket list for the future, and one of them was to be able to work for ASDAC. Oh, yeah. wow. And so I didn't even, re- I mean, I didn't even realize that that was on there, but I had just met um, Katie and Ginger, and I think it was at probably a Podstock mm-hmm. or something, and and so just excited about the opportunity. So I, you know, Rebecca and I have a long history. That might be another podcast. And um, and I taught her kids um, actually for the this last year I didn't. But previous four years I had her kids, her boys. And um, and so we've known each other for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, with Rebecca, it's just been so amazing to watch her transformation and the idea to be able to come alongside her um, is just really exciting and a little scary. It is. I know, but that's what we expect of our kids. It's not, I mean, there's so many variables and you just got to be willing to embrace it and yep. go with the change. Yeah. So back when you wrote that work for ESDAC, mm-hmm. what did you think working for ESDAC meant or what? What would that look like yeah. for you? Or did you know? Um, I didn't know. I, I thought you guys collaborated a lot. Like I felt like I saw like a, a, a team that just worked together and supported each other and um, just very innovative. And I, I love not afraid to try new things. And nice. so you got to you can't be afraid to fail. And I think our students need to understand mm-hmm. that, too. So for that's sure. kind of an ex- expectation, I think, is it's not. Well, let's try it. See yeah. if it works. Yeah. yeah. I think I'll be saying that a lot over this <laughs> next year. <laughs> so I also have to talk to you about um, you obviously have to love learners mm-hmm. and love being a learner. Yeah. So what do you think that looks like with your learning center kids based on the conversations you've had with Tamara and Rebecca and mm-hmm. meshing your experiences in Mexico and Brasilia and... Yes, yeah. it's a unique set of skills you're right. bringing in for that. I mean, talk about barriers. I mean, you have broken them down and built lifelong mm-hmm. relationships with kids from all over the world. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think for me, uh, I really am excited about the idea of these ki- these kiddos in the learning center that they're not on the computer all day long. Like I love technology, like I'm a huge component of it, but I don't um, uh, I don't think that that can be the end all, right. and I don't think we can learn everything that we need to learn through that. Um, especially like you know you know ISTE just took place, and um, you know I've just been reading so many articles and stuff about what came out of ISTE, and it it was just kind of like. It wasn't necessarily like really innovative things like and so I'm uh, whereas it used to be like see that's what I was reading I was reading some of Russ's things over the weekend and I thought he just felt felt it was flat too yeah and we're going back to his comment was worksheets yes 
on computers. And that's yes. what we've done. I mean, that's one opinion, but. Right. Or agreed, agreed, one opinion. Um, and, but I don't want, I don't want the kids in the learning center to just be doing a digital worksheet all day right. long. Because if you just have a couple of credits, if you just have two credits, okay, you know, like, but if you have a lot of credits to, um, to go through and to finish off, I mean, how unmotivating would it be to sit at a computer all day? And so we really want to bring in just the idea of, you know, passion projects and project-based learning and social justice. And what are, how can we do, um, you know, some, an English 2 class that they might need, um, but how can we make that so that they're making a difference in the community or in the world? Instead Um, of typing up a... Uh, research paper right. in front of that computer like all day. Like we talked about with Mark. Yes. Yes. They're not just doing, okay, well, I can write a paper over. Yes. Yeah. So uh, just helping helping kids to discover passion too, like uh, passion projects and genius hour type things that I'm really passionate about. And uh, we actually use them, uh, you know, f- 15 years ago in Mexico in our in our gifted and talented program. And um, I've just seen like those light bulbs that go off on kiddos because of being able to, to research about the Galapagos Islands and about a trip and then actually going. And, um, or um, a student that, you know, kind of is pretty lackadaisical in the normal day to day, but when they get to pick a topic that they're passionate, that they want to learn about, um, and then they end up doing this amazing Japanese meal and, um, you know, for their favorite teachers and have history about it and order candy online that they worked, you know, worked for to yeah. get the money. And I mean, I you just think of all the different skill sets that they had to go through in order to create that meal uh, and that research. Um, I feel like that's so much more beneficial than necessarily just sitting at a computer now i told you 10 15 minutes we've been talking about 20 minutes now we usually <laughs> so do this we try and lure you in and then just keep you there but so <laughs> one last question yeah it, you might have already answered it that last one what are you most excited about bringing or doing doing an SDEC here um i think two things i'm really like i love teacher training too and i love putting together workshops and and things for teachers and so you know, being able to focus on uh, the trauma-informed, trauma-responsive, and really getting, uh, being able to get into, possibly get into classrooms and helping teachers with that, that's so exciting to me. Uh, and then also, um, you know, just being able to um, figure out processes so that we can help these kids um, just really achieve so much more than if we just have them sit at a computer. Um, and being able to for them to find those light bulbs that they need to figure out what it is that they want to accomplish and then help them with the the, sc- the skill set that they need in order to do that. Because I kind of feel like, you know, we don't, they're not, they don't end being our kids when they graduate. You know, they end being our kids once we get them. You know, it's that post-secondary link that Dr. Watson talks about all the time. You know, they don't end until, you know, we can see that they are they're doing well. And, and we learn from that transition, too, um, so that we can be better in what we do. And then you hope that they, when they get to that point, will start helping those yes. that... Yes. 
that were lost or needing guidance mm-hmm. like they once were. Yes, yeah. being that mentor. Right. Yes, absolutely. All right. All right. Well, Karen, thank you. And welcome to ESDEC. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. So thanks for joining us on the show today. As always, you can listen to us at ESDEC.org forward slash your stories, iTunes, or Jamie's favorite, iHeartRadio. We'll talk to you later. Bye.